We're focused, man. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 85 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Big shouts to everyone who put in their combo socks and listening to Combo's Court across the globe. Make sure you go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app. Catch us on Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio as well. Today's show, FIBA 3v3 World Cup champ and son of Hall of Famer Rick Barry. Canyon Barry joins in. We discuss the underhand free throw, FIBA 3v3, plus so much more. You could follow Canyon on Instagram at Canyon Barry. That's C-A-N-Y-O-N-B-A-R-R-Y. You know you could follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Canyon Barry, man, welcome to Combo Court. How you feeling today, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. Anytime. You guys were so close in summer league, man. You almost had it. You almost took the championship. How, how was the whole experience for you? Uh, it was great, you know. Um, obviously, we, we won a lot of games, made it to championships, and played a great last game. Came a couple points short, but uh, it was a great experience. First-class accommodations, great organization, really fun to, uh, you know, play against great competition. So, definitely a positive. Right. I was out there for summer league for a few days. Didn't get, didn't get to catch you play out there, but I definitely got to see the championship game on TV. And Fran Fischilla spoke to the fact, actually, well, let me, let me let the listeners know first that uh, you're a FIBA World Cup three-on-three champion. So, so Fran Fischilla was, ta- was speaking to the fact that he felt you made quick decisions on the floor because of your three-on-three experience. Do you, do you believe that to be true? Um, I definitely think, you know, three-on-three can help it's it's a lot different than five on five you know it's right. definitely growing in popularity with the uh, uh olympic sport it's coming up in 2020 so it's one of those things where it's a, it's a totally different style of play a lot of moving without the ball being able to read uh situations slipping screens slipping cuts uh so i think it definitely can help with some five on five decision making and um some some good movement because you know a lot of five on five can get pretty stagnant so I think definitely right. three on three has helped to kind of give my five on five game a, a different different aspect. Right, you'd be the per- perfect person to ask this because I've been actually getting different feedback on it. How are they going to pick the Olympic team for for USA? So it's a it's a pretty complicated process. Basically, FIBA has almost designed it to try to to limit America's chances of winning. Um, wow. So you know, obviously, if we could pick Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, and LeBron James to be our three-on-three team, it would be, uh, you know, a walk in the park. But right. uh, you have to play in a certain number of FIBA events. I think it's nine events minimum to, okay. to qualify for the different point values. And as you play in these events, not only do, do you in, earn points individually, but you earn points for your country. So for the Olympic team, two out of the four have to be top 10 in the U.S. in FIBA points. So that kind of limits your, your choices right there, obviously. And then a- another interesting aspect is, you know, 
it's a lot different than five on five. And one of the things people I don't think really understand is you could take a good five on five player. And if they haven't played a lot of three on three and done these events, um, I think they're definitely going to struggle out there. So um, I'm not sure what the, what the process is that USA basketball is going to use. I mean, so right now they just kind of have a group of players going around to these tournaments, trying to get as many points for the U S as possible. So hopefully we don't have to play in the Olympic qualifying tournament and we can get a, an at-large bid and then kind of go from there. So let's, let's say hypothetically speaking, if you, if your sole focus was three on three in, in some weird land where you can make a professional career playing three on three, how would you work on your game differently? Uh, I think the most important thing would be to find a group of guys and then just kind of lock in with them and make that your go-to team. Right. So much of three on three is, you know, reading, reading situations, reading the play, reading the action. And the more you play with the team, just the better feel you have. Um, so the top ranked team in the world right now is Serbia and they win basically every challenger event on the tour, uh, the three on three tour, that is the FIBA tour. So they've been playing together for five to 10 years now. So they have a great feel for where each other are going to be on the court. Um, you know, they kind of have a sixth sense and just, trust the plays that their teammates are going to make before they happen. So I think the most important thing would be to get a group of guys that you get really comfortable with. And then uh, obviously I think it's crucial to be able to shoot the ball well because you play ones and twos and three on three. So uh, a two point shot is worth 50% of a one point shot. So that would be the equivalent of, you know, a three being worth four points in the NBA. So you can see how shooting is, is crucial in three on three to be able to have four guys that can, can stroke it. Right. So let's say if you guys played the big three championship, would it just depend on what rules you would use? Like, do you feel like you guys would win if you use FIBA rules and they would win if they use big three rules? Uh, I mean, I, I would like to say that we could definitely give them a run for their money in if we use big three rules. But I think we okay, destroy them if they use FIBA rules <laughs> because it's All so right, like fast that. pace and the conditioning and shape you have to be in is is crazy. Uh, I mean, and the big three is a lot of kind of like an older league with a lot of one-on-one play where right. FIBA, if, you, if you're relying on one-on-one, it's only a 12-second shot clock. So uh, that right there limits it. And there's no stoppage of play. So if you make a layup, you're immediately into the next possession guarding uh, where I just don't think cardio-wise uh, a lot of their, their teams could, could keep up. So, yeah, man, you have experience in three-on-three uh, three. D-League, overseas, summer league, um, played in Florida. But where did your hoop journey begin? Like, how, how did it all start for you? I mean, basically out the womb with my family. So, uh, right. you know, I, I just grew up around the game. And it was one of those things where neither of my parents really forced me into basketball or, you know, made me play or made me practice. It was always, son, you can do whatever you want. We want you to do what you love. But just growing up around the game, I think, made me fall in love with it and develop a passion for basketball. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a, a better family to learn from. Right. Did, did you feel the pressure being uh, Rick's son and having brothers that played in the NBA? Yeah, you know, I mean, everyone always asks, oh, did you feel pressure? Did you feel pressure when you play? Were you forced to kind of grow up into basketball? You know, did they make you play? How do you feel when everyone compares you to your dad or your brothers? But uh, I look at it as more of a blessing. You know, I was fortunate enough to be, ingrained in a basketball family where I always had someone I could talk to about any situation that came up, whether it was high school basketball into recruiting, into picking an agent into summer league, into playing overseas into, you know, doing the the G league and the NBA situation. So 
uh, I think it was more of a, uh, a very fortunate situation. And I've always just tried to be my own player and obviously block out what other people are saying and focus on the things that you can control. So the underhand free throw, was that since you were a kid, you've been working on that? Yeah. I've, uh, or... so I learned the form at a very young age on, you know, the, uh, the mini hoops with the, the backyard and the smaller ball. And then I kind of always knew I was going to switch, but I didn't actually make the, the official switch until I was a junior in high school. Um, and that's, Wait, from the regular form to the underhand, underhand correct, yeah. So, right, okay. Uh, I mean, I kind of always knew I was going to switch, but I had to wait until I had grown enough and my hands were big enough to do the proper technique. And it was one of those things where it was almost two weeks before the season started my junior year, and I just kind of said, you know, all right, screw it, no turning back. I'm going to I'm gonna switch to underhanded. And, you know, my dad is funny. He said, you know, son, well, that's great. I'm really excited, but it would have been nice if you, if you practiced the whole summer before it, but – I just wanted to get a couple <laughs> a couple seasons in high school under my belt before, um, you know, college and obviously the more important level of basketball there. So the uh, and I'm really glad I did switch because I was probably about a 75 to 78 percent free throw shooter my first two or three years. Um, and then right. eventually just shot enough of them where the muscle memory clicked and, you know, jumped up to 88, 89 percent where I've been for you know the rest of my career now so how often do teammates or other players come to you and try and ask you uh like how they could switch their form to i mean i wish people would do it more i think you know with how important free throws are in today's game and how many free throws are being shot that it's one of the most important aspects of basketball you know people talk about points per possession and you know obviously people now want three pointers dunks or free throws so right. that are shooting, analytics, exactly. A lot of analytics driven yeah. uh, scouting. So when people are shooting poor percentage from the free throw line, 40s, 50s, 60s, low 70s, it, it uh, it's mind boggling to me that they wouldn't try something different that could raise their percentage a little bit. And kind of my philosophy on it has always been, you know, if you're in the 70s, you should just practice more until you can get to 80 percent. Kind of the very the Barry family cutoff for a good free throw shooter is 80%. Um, so if you're in the seventies shooting overhanded, it's just a matter of more practice to get to 80. But if you're in anything below 70, um, I think it's definitely smart to consider making a switch. You know, the, uh, the big center from Louisville. Um, I think he's the only other player that shoots underhanded right now. And I think he was 40% right. in college and then made the switch and, jumped up to 60 something and you know he did that without any proper coaching or, or, or teaching from anyone in my family where I think you know we look at his form and there's definitely a lot of flaws that I see just just from watching the couple free throws of his that I've seen where you know if he could kind of change that technique he could get to a more consistent higher percentage so um, you know I'm, I'm always interested I'm always willing to teach people I'd love to try to get in the NBA gig as you know a free throw coach at some point and just try to bring back the underhand free throw. Cause I think it's such a soft shot and science has proven it's uh, one of the best ways to shoot a free throw just because of the repeatableness of the motion. Cause when you're shooting overhand shots, uh, three of your joints have to, you can have to work in unison, your wrist, your elbow and your shoulder uh, every time you shoot versus underhanded, it's only your shoulder that's moving. So it's much easier to develop a feel get in rhythm and kind of have that muscle memory where it becomes automatic. 
Right. So if I'm not mistaken, everybody was shooting them underhanded way before even Rick started. Yeah, right? exactly. So people shot it underhanded before that. And then, you know, uh, when my dad switched over, his dad shot underhanded as most of that generation did. And, uh, you know, my, my dad's dad said, you know, Rick, I really love you to switch. I think it'd be great for you. And my dad was always very hesitant to switch until, you know, one summer he tried it just to get his dad off his back and he realized the potential of it. And obviously the rest is history. Do you feel guys don't want to use it just from just pretty much because of the way it looks? Is that, I, I don't know. I go back and forth. I mean, I think definitely a lot of it is because you get a lot of heckling and flack and, um, you know, if you're missing them underhanded, you, you take a lot of heat for it. But I mean, my right. thing is you're missing them overhanded. So who cares? You know, if you're if you're mentally tough enough that you're already missing free throws, why would you not try something that could could get you to that next level? And then also, I think is there's no one to teach them. You know, I mean, the That's only true. people that really know the technique are, are from my family. And, uh, you know, I so like I said, I think it's kind of a mixture of both. But, uh, you know, I'd love for me to go work with some free throw shooters and poor free throw shooters in the league or in college and try to, you know, convert people and get more young kids shooting underhand free throws. Speaking of the league is, is at this point your sole focus getting into the NBA or is it more just making a living playing basketball, making as much money? Like where's your focus? Yeah. I mean, obviously the dream is the NBA. That's the the pinnacle of basketball in in this world. So, uh, you know, any chance I can get to achieve that dream, obviously I'm going to take, but at the same time, you know, I'm very blessed to be able to earn a living playing a game. You know, it's, it's unbelievable that people are willing to pay me to do, to do something I love. And uh, I'm going to try my hardest to continue to improve every day and, and see what happens, see where the cards fall. But, you know, right now I'm just focused on trying to get better every time I step on the court and, you know, trusting God's plan. Right. So, you know, you played overseas and I often ask, ask this question to other guys who played overseas. What have you learned about life? Not even basketball. What, did, what, what have you learned about life living abroad? The main, honestly, the main thing I learned is that, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. And I'm a huge proponent now of, you know, doing something you love. And even if you're not making a ton of money, as long as you're happy, I think that's the most important thing because, you know, obviously the G league salary has gone up, but it's by no means what you could make overseas. Uh, but right. when I was overseas, man, I was just struggling. I was miserable. You know, it's one of those things where it's not the idle time, exactly. right? Exactly. You know, it's not worth making yeah. extra, you know, a hundred extra thousand dollars. If, you're literally depressed every day. You don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to practice. You don't want to work out. You know, you're far away from your family and friends. The time change you're living in, you know, small countries where no one speaks the language. So um, it's one of those things where, you know, if you, if you get a good spot overseas, I think it can be unbelievable. And, you know, you can see the world and travel playing basketball. But if, if you're in a bad spot and not really enjoying it, then it's one of those things where the extra money might not be worth it. You pick the G League over, like you're not you're not planning to go back overseas, or it's really uh, just, this year. Like, I'll probably do take... the G League one more year and then see uh, see what happens. See if I can find a good location overseas and uh, with a with a club that I think I'd be a good fit with. You know, overseas is definitely not off the table, but I didn't have a great experience with my first year overseas, which I think has kind of pushed me to uh, to stay in America and, and do the G League route and Exhibit Ten route. And, tried to get a training camp deal and that kind of stuff. So uh, I'll probably do one more year in the G league and then re- reevaluate. 
Canyon, thanks for being here. You're always welcome back on the show, man. Sounds good, man. You got any other questions? Just let me know. I appreciate you guys having me on. There it is. Big shouts to Canyon for joining in. We appreciate you. Let me know how you feel about this episode right on the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Be on the lookout for episode 86. Combo out.